Friends, grace, peace, and mercy to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please be seated. By the way, Martin Luther used to speak for three to four hours at a time during his sermon, so I thought in, uh, in uh, honor of him, I would not do that today. There we go. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to know the truth? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? These are the three questions that we will tackle today, the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, and the Sunday of Reformation, which is the 504th anniversary of Martin Luther posting his 95 thesis that Jerry just showed us. Today was that day. It was on October 31st, the day before All Saints Day, All Hallows' Eve. And that's the start of the debate he had with the Roman Church and the beginning of what we now call the Protestant Reformation. When Jesus said, the truth will set you free to the Jewish leaders who were challenging him, he was well known to them at that time. His reputation, you might say, had preceded him. And there was great debate over who he was and what they should do about him. Was he a prophet or was he a demon? Was he the Messiah or a charlatan? Did he come to save the people and restore the kingdom of Israel? Or was he an imposter? Who was this man and what should be done about this Jesus? Jesus told the Pharisees that he was the light of the world. And that he was not of this world. That he was from above. But these words did not register for his accusers. They couldn't connect the dots. For Jesus did not match their picture of the Messiah. He wasn't who they imagined. He didn't come from the right town. He didn't act the way they expected. Jesus was nothing like what they were expecting. He was a simple man. He was from a dusty nowhere town called Nazareth. And he wasn't a priest or a leader. He was a carpenter's son. He was a nobody who spoke against them. And yet he did marvelous things, incredible things. And his knowledge of God and scripture was profound. And they hated him for it. Now skip forward in time to the Middle Ages, to the year 1517. This was the time when the remnants of Jesus' church had great power but had been corrupted by bad theology, bad teaching. It had been misled by greed and selfish desire of its leaders. This was the time of Martin Luther who saw what the church had become and was disappointed. As a doctor of Christian theology, he felt it his duty to expose the heresy, the wrong teaching. And he wanted others to see these faults. He wanted them corrected. He wanted to help God's holy church, the bride of Christ, 
to get back online, to get in order, to be faithful to scriptures. For Martin knew that freedom meant the forgiveness of sin and that all mankind was plagued with sin. And he knew that freedom from sin came not from man's efforts, no matter how valiant. It was not from one's works or pocketbook. It was a gift of grace, a grace from Jesus that people were saved. But Luther, like Jesus, was an enigma, misunderstood and hated by those in power. In our gospel reading, the Jews tell Jesus that they don't need to be freed, for they're not slaves to anyone. Oh, on the contrary, Jesus says, everyone is sinful and trapped by sin. It's like being a slave, forever bound to your work. That is, until the Son sets you free. He says, when the Son, the Son of the Master of the house, sets you free, then you are truly free. Martin Luther was disturbed by how the church had tied one's freedom to the sin of purchasing indulgences. By the way, that practice is alive and well today. When my stepfather died, some in his family went to the church immediately and purchased an indulgence and gave it to my mother during the ceremony. To purchase an indulgence meant to some, this is a get-out-of-jail-free card, a get-out-of-sin free card. You see, the church allowed a person to simply pay off their debt by making a contribution. It supposedly freed you from purgatory, another man-made invention. Paying your debt with cash on earth supposedly allowed your spirit to sail into heaven. No questions asked. There was no need for Jesus in anything you do. For if you had a full purse, all you needed to do was open it up and take out some money to buy your way out or buy the way out for a loved one. Luther knew this was wrong. This teaching was not of Christ. It was of man's greed. He knew the paper issued as an indulgence was worthless in God's eyes. And the money was used to fund the building of gilded temples in Rome. Beautiful cathedrals still standing today, being built on the backs of the poor, the desperate, the uninformed. And these great atrocities caused Luther's blood to boil. The Jews of Jesus' day thought their future was secure. Why? Because of their past. Because of their heritage, we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We are the chosen race, God's representatives on earth. And the world will be blessed because of us. We are saved, they thought. Their future secure because of who they were and where they were from and what their ancestors had done. But Jesus let them know clearly, you are sinners who are mired in sin. You follow the law, but the law convicts you. In sin, you have no hope. But in me, my word, my promise, there is 
eternal life. Martin Luther had no intention of causing the ruckus he did. He had no intention of starting a new church. He had no intention of setting off so much controversy, but the time was ripe for it. Luther's actions, his challenge against the church and its financial collection methods, not only caused a stir in Rome, but it caused a ripple all over Europe. Once people realized that what they were being taught by the church was wrong, was not of God, there were great uprisings in congregations, in villages, even the entire empire. Luther's words rang true and helped his nation and the world realize that God's love is the true meaning of freedom. It was a gift of mercy won for man by Christ, God's only son. It was not something one had to suffer for. Freedom was a gift, a gift that was everlasting, and no king or pope could take that away. At the time, the church and the state were entangled with one another, so Luther called for the church to be reformed, and so the people demanded for reformation of social injustice throughout the kingdom. Skirmishes and battles and wars ensued over abuses of power by local lords and landowners. This newfound freedom led people to think and feel differently, to want to live differently, free from all sorts of tyranny. Luther's movement touched more than people's relationship with the church. It spawned dramatic social change all across Europe. Jesus' words to those listening to him were that you must hear the gospel and believe it. You must hear and accept his words to be a disciple. There was no other way. Eternal life did not come through one's heritage or works, not by wealth or power, but only through his grace. To be a disciple meant to know him, to follow him, to believe in him. Only his teachings would set one free. Humans were born sinful and unclean, and they sin daily in thought, in word, in deed. And they are bound to sin, tied to it. As Paul said, those in the flesh cannot please God because they are hostile to him. Luther's life changed dramatically after the posting of his thesis. A copy nailed to the church door in Wittenberg and another mailed to his bishop. He was quickly made an enemy of the church, someone to be dealt with, a voice to be silenced. But his voice and writings quickly became the hottest news in the land. Copied and recirculated, they became a life-changing message for those who read them and for Luther himself. He was challenged and hated by those in power. He was excommunicated. He was threatened, but he would not back down. He would not recant or recall his writings. He knew the truth. And he knew that everyone needed to hear it and know it 
as well. In our epistle reading from the book of Romans, Paul continues this theme. He reminds us readers that all people have fallen short and have sinned, and that we all have nothing to boast about. Neither Jew nor Gentile, we're all guilty. No one group better than the other. Even those who closely follow the law are guilty because no one can keep it completely. We all fail continuously. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul says it this way, Nothing good dwells in me, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul tells his readers that we all need a Savior because there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus was the only one to keep the law perfectly. His sinless life, then his giving of his life, then proof that he loved us, his return from the dead, his empty tomb, it all marked his true person, the son of the divine, holy God. He was the Messiah foretold by generations, the only one who has power over death, the son of the most high God. This was really the same message that Luther was trying to get across. At his death, he said, we are all beggars before God, sinners incapable of doing what's right. So he taught the power of confession. He taught the truth of scripture. He translated the Bible into the language of the people, German, not Latin, so they could understand it and read it for themselves. He introduced the loving and forgiving side of Jesus and that his father was not a vengeful God who demanded payment or penance for sin, but the one who loved his children and sent his only son to save our souls. Luther's work resulted in a less anxious and more educated and more accommodating people that knew and loved God. People who knew the truth of his word who enjoyed receiving his grace as it was proclaimed and offered in baptism and holy communion. People didn't have to fear God or have uncertainty about their fate after death. They could live assuredly that they were safe and secure, saved by Jesus and not their own actions. The way to forgiveness and freedom didn't mean they had to suffer because the suffering had been done for them on the cross. And God's church was not meant to be an institution of dominance and control, but one of support and nourishment. It was a distribution center of God's grace and not a grab for power. The rally cry of the Reformation was grace alone, scripture alone, faith alone. For only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ do we become his disciples. Only through scripture do we learn the truth, not through counsels of men or popes. 
Only through the grace and gift of the Son are we set free. The color of this day, of course, the anniversary of the Reformation is red. Red to remind us of the fire of Pentecost, God's holy tongue of fire landing on the heads of the disciples who called them to ministry, giving them even new language to speak so that his word could be carried around the world. Red for the blood of the martyrs whose early church fathers, prophets, teachers, gave their lives for the truth, their deaths not in vain, so that people then and today might have God's word in hand. And red for the blood of the for the passion in the hearts of the theologians like Martin Luther and like the many pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers, volunteers who take God's word around the world. Today we show our Lutheran red in our, our pyramids, our vestments, our socks, our ties, our skirts, our shirts, out of respect for those who've gone before. And we wear red out of love and support for those who labor in the present, like Ben and Rebecca working in the Czech Republic, and Tim and Martha in the Solomon Islands. Red for the ones who paint a bright future for believers yet to come. So the answer to our three questions is, what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to know the truth? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? We are disciples of Christ because we believe in his divinity and his promise and his work on the cross. And we know that all truth comes only through him, through Holy Scripture. And because of this beautiful gift of grace, we are forever free. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We pray, Father God, through your Son, Christ Jesus, you have gifted us the means to freedom, the forgiveness of all our sin. May we be inspired by your Spirit, the words of Holy Scripture, and the passion of the Reformation to live faithfully. Guide what we say and do so that we boldly proclaim your mercy throughout the world. Amen. Friends, we stand now and confess our faith using the Credo Hymn, We all believe in one true God.